This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by touringplans.com. Head over to touringplans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the crowd calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the touring plans to save time and money waiting in line. Touringplans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company, be they Lucasfilm, Marvel, Pixar, Disney Toon Studios, Walt Disney Feature Animation, Walt Disney Studios, all of the above. We talk about this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the show, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we are the folks who run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, including one of the uh, movie that we are about to discuss. You can find all kinds of old content about the shorts of the Walt Disney Company, or I should say content about the old shorts. Some of it's old, some of it's new. Uh, and all kinds of good stuff, including the show notes for this very show, so make sure you go over and check that out at DisneyFilmProject.com. Uh, first of all, up this evening, we have our fine film experts that join us each and every week. Uh, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, uh, who is neither Long nor John nor Silver. And when I played the part, though, I did it with two crutches. Of course. You like to challenge yourself, and that's what we like about you. Yes, I also like to defy gravity. Yeah. Speaking of uh, defying gravity in great Broadway shows, which we weren't, but <laughs> I just thought it was a good transition to Rachel Kolb of JustPressPlay.net, who loves defying gravity from Wicked. Oh, I do. Anything Adina Menzel does is gold. Yeah, I can't wait to see her uh, sing Let It Go on the Oscars. I mean, we will have seen it. You guys will have seen it by the time you hear the episode, but uh, we're, we're looking forward to it here in the time travel uh, conundrum that Todd and I have set up when we set up the uh, podcast. Yes. Uh, and, of course, we have our producer, the one who makes things run on time, the one who keeps us going, the straw that stirs the drink, if you prefer your Reggie Jackson references, the one and only Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter at CherylP3 or at about.me slash CherylP3. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good. I'm back behind the editing streak, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm still ahead for the listeners, so we're, doing, we're still doing good. There you go. One of these days, we're, we're going to get like way ahead, and, and nobody will know the difference. So, as we're talking about it, it is Muppet Month as we get ready for the release of Muppets Most Wanted. Uh, and so, the Muppet DVDs and Blu-rays have been rolling out, including this one, Muppet Treasure Island, that was featured on a uh, two-pack, really, with uh, the great Muppet caper that came out on Blu-ray, as I mentioned earlier on the show. You can go over to DisneyFilmProject.com and check out our review of the Blu-ray uh, and the movie itself. And we will talk about the movie tonight. And to help us out with that, we've enlisted the help of one of our friends, as we so often do, um, we have Mr. Randy Crane, the host of the Stories of the Magic podcast. He's the author of Faith in the Magic Kingdom, and you can find him on Twitter at Belgarian42, B-E-L-G-A-R-I-O-N-42. How are you, Randy? I am Muppetational, thank you. Well, I mean, is there really any other way to be? Not if it's a good day. 
Understood. Understood. Uh, so we are talking about the film Up at Treasure Island, which was released in February of 1996 uh, for a couple of reasons. It, it, as we mentioned, it is on the Blu-ray. It is Muppet Month, but uh, the movie itself is an interesting story because we've talked about Muppet Christmas Carol before. Uh, this is the first film after that, uh, directed by Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son. It is something that uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It's something that we need to look at uh, both from the content of the film and then how how the Muppets sort of proceeded after Jim's. Uh, death and how they worked with Disney. It's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, as somebody who just finished the Jim Henson biography by Brian J. Jones, which I highly recommend, uh, this was this was an interesting watch because uh, it, it, I, I kind of viewed it through a different lens now that uh, I know some of the stories about the Disney negotiations and uh, the Muppet performers. Yeah, well, it's it's well, every night it's the fifth Muppet movie, and like you said, it's the second one after the death of Jim Henson. Well, you kind of implied that, but I figured we might as well say it. No, you're right. Um, you're right. And um, it's you know what you know what's interesting. So Brian Henson, one of the things is, which everybody has like you know like his dad signature Muppet was considered Ralph, right? Not Kermit, by the way, everyone. Ralph, okay. And uh, and we could talk. That's why Ralph doesn't talk in this movie. I figure this is a good point to mention that. So yes, yep. Okay, it's because they hadn't yet recast the voice for Ralph, but they felt that they could show him in the background in the movies. Um, the difference is Brian Henson, like his father, has a um, a Muppet that is not one of not one that necessarily you would consider his his uh, Muppet, but his is a uh, Salmonella, who yes. actually has his first appearance in this movie, in the very beginning. So that's uh, that's an interesting thing. So you know, it's they're they're the Hensons are uh, very esoteric, and it shows. Like you would expect them to be Kermit or Piggy, like you know. Along those lines, but you know, you know, Fozzie and Kermit and Piggy are done by you know Frank Oz and that bunch. So I'm gonna go along in this storyline and say, um, John Henson, who recently passed away, um, did Sweetums, and that was his role um, as part of the family. Oh yeah, yeah, right. And, uh, memorable in Muppet Vision 3D, no less. Yes, and in this movie because he he makes the same joke he always Sweetums always makes. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned Todd the second movie uh, after Jim Henson's death, and so it's basically the Muppet performers trying to carry on the legacy like they did in Muppet Christmas Carol. At least that film, you know, there had been some discussion of it um, before before Jim's death. It, it hadn't really taken shape or anything, but uh, this is really their uh, kind of their first film outside of the Disney relationship that they remember the Muppets at the time of Jim's death were about to be sold to Disney uh, it, it, in, a, in a much different way than they were originally. Uh, and they were going to be, uh, Jim was going to be a huge creative resource for the company. Um, he and Michael Eisner actually had a great relationship and it, you know, it ended up falling apart for a lot of reasons we don't have to get into, but they were still, they still had a distribution deal where the Muppets would produce films through Walt Disney pictures. And so Brian Henson's directing the film, um, the puppet. It, the screenplay is by Jerry Jewell, who did uh, a lot of the writing for the Muppet Show and the earlier Muppet films. And then you have the Muppet performer performers: um, Dave Gels as Gonzo, Steve Whitmire as Kermit, 
Um, you mentioned Frank Oz, Kevin Clash, um, who most people know as Elmo, did a lot of the Muppets in this film. Um, so lots of different uh, – Jerry Nelson as well did, did several of the Muppets in the movie. So lots of the, the core Muppet performers, which we want to call out is actually a little bit different than what you see in the Muppets film the, the most recent one, the reboot, and what we'll see in Muppets Most Wanted, those a lot of those guys are not actually the performers in that film. So just something to something to note. Well, especially since um, I, I would say in Kevin's case, he's re, he ha, he's recently because of the allegations against him from some children, um, he had to give up his position as Elmo, and yes. I think yep. he's I think he's gone back into the gone back into the ether <laughs> ether yeah unfortunately um yeah and that's what that's what unfortunately the news and things can do to you so yeah, yeah. and i know that when uh, the muppets came out frank oz had specifically said he wasn't going to be a part of it because he took issue with some of the jokes in the movie yeah specifically um what i can't remember the name of the of um mr trolley's finger Mr. Bimble? Mr. Bimble. He didn't like that at all. <laughs> until, he, <laughs> until he later saw it, though, and then he said, ah, it's kind of a good gag. Yeah, and, and the thing to know about Frank Oz is that he was uh, never happy with most of anything unless he was in charge of it. Um, so, and we'll talk about that when we review other, other Muppet films um, from you know, back in the day when he was a little bit more involved. In this case, you know, the, in 19, 1996, when this film came out, I mean, Frank Oz was a director in his own right. You know? um, so going back to perform Miss Piggy is probably not high on his list of to-dos. Yeah. yeah, well, Clash, uh, Kevin Clash did most of the puppeteering on set for it, and he did all of his dialogue uh, um, ADR'd it, so. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, uh, I thought the, when he, the descriptions he gave to Kevin Clash when he, to do, uh, was it, for Miss Piggy, he said, play her like a truck driver trying to be a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and for, for Fozzie, he said just somebody similar to Jerry Lewis. There you go. <laughs> that makes so much sense. So yeah, so it, it, it you know gives me a good idea. Plus, um, it's uh, it's important. The other one that um, Frank Oz does that Kevin Clash did stood in for him for the hand the hand work because, like Rachel said, he later dubbed it. Frank Oz later dubbed in all three roles. Um, he uh, he uh, also does Sam the Eagle, and this is Sam the Eagle's breakout role. <laughs> By the way, in, in the movies, because prior to this, in the other four movies, he really didn't have a huge role. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. And well, frankly, in this one... Role in the new movie. Yeah, that's what we hear. <laughs> yeah. Frankly, in this one, even Kermit doesn't have the big, as big a role. He's kind of on the side of things, as he was in Muppet Christmas Carol. You know, like he's 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 definitely a quote unquote main character, but not as big of a feature as he was in Muppet Movie or Great Muppet Caper. Right. Well, it's it's like you said. Uh, the this is Brian Henson's other big Muppet film initially, right? So, and he carried forward much of the same stuff that he did on Muppet Christmas Carol. He carried into this, right? If you look at it, because uh, humans play the key roles, not yes. not the Muppets, right? Uh, so, like I said, the Muppets, Muppets, that makes them up with all the supporting roads. Rizzo and Gonzo are the, basically the narrators and sidekicks again. Yes. Right? And they're both, and they're playing roles that he made up specifically for them, just like in the 
in the other in the other thing. Also, uh, one of the other thing is remember they're both very dark tales, right? Mm-hmm. So so they tend to use bathos to um, to put humor to those dark moments in both movies, and he carries that forward. By the way, bathos is when you take a dark moment and you follow it by something lighthearted or ludicrous, which is what the Muppets are really good at doing. Like like rat skiing. <laughs> like rat skiing, water skiing, yes. <laughs> the cruise joke is like the best. So I think it's interesting to say what you're saying there, Todd, though, about the uh, following Muppet Treasure Island and Muppet Christmas Carol, because you got to remember before this, we had uh, the Muppet movie, Great Muppet Caper and Muppets Take Manhattan, all of which were original scripts um, written for the most part. Um, we'll talk about the Muppet movie when we get to that film. Uh, written for the most part by the Muppet performers, similar to this, but in it, but with Jim Henson's overview, and they were original stories. And then Brian Henson comes along and you know does Muppet Christmas Carol, which, I, which was you know just a, a pleasure to watch. This one's a good one too, but it's a different take on the characters, as in the characters are adapting to roles as opposed to. Um, you know, being the main people in the story. So it's, and, you know, frankly, it goes forward from this point and gets a lot worse um, it, it, and following that role. Like, um, I don't think we want to talk about Muppets Wizard of Oz. Ever. Right. Isn't there also like a Robinson Crusoe or something like that? <laughs> I, yeah, I think you may be right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just interesting. It's because it was, you know, it's, it's, with, with Jim's death, you can tell the, the difference in the direction of, of who and what the Muppets are. Right. Yeah. And as you guys were saying earlier, uh, Gonzo and Rizzo appear in this one like they did in Muppet Christmas Carol, kind of as themselves. But from what I saw, I was watching a making of that was on the Disney Channel about this. And the originally, uh, there was not going to be a human playing Jim Hawkins. Gonzo and Rizzo were going to take that role. One was going to be Jim, the other was going to be Hawkins. But then they decided that since the story is in a lot of ways kind of a coming-of-age tale for a boy, they couldn't do that. So they had to then cast a human to play that role and use Gonzo and Rizzo as the sidekicks. Yeah, Yeah, I I think it's the right choice, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't have seen that working. Splitting that role, it just it it wouldn't have worked. I have I have a question for you guys actually with a a, a Treasure Planet versus um, up a Treasure Island. Um, which movie do you think does the relationship between Jim and Long John John better? I say Treasure Planet. Yeah, I was gonna say Treasure Planet. Yeah, I was gonna say this. See, I I think this one. I think Treasure Planet spends more time at it. I mean, if you look at it, there's. Only um, like four distinct scenes where they're bonding. Yeah. yeah. Right. In, in this movie, and it's not that it's it's not as bad. It's very strong bonding, right? Because they have these very heart to heart conversations every single time, which is kind of sort of like when you're reading the book. Those are mm-hmm. those are the poignant moments in the book is when they have the conversations because their conversations go on for like chapters, in some cases. Okay, so it's it's interesting. It's good. I like I like the longer conversations in this. But I, I think there's just more of it in Treasure Planet. I think that's that's the balance. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the original Disney Treasure Island, um, but I think that one actually is the best of the three. And we'll get to that one eventually. But it's, in speaking specifically to the Jim and Long John relationship. Okay. I haven't yeah, actually I th- ever seen it, so. 
I think that this one is probably more faithful than Treasure Planet is as far as uh, Jim's character because he definitely is a good-hearted kid. Um, whereas in, in Treasure Planet, he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and is he's, he's a little bit more of a complicated character. Like, he's got that teen angst thing going on. Um, which which I think works a little bit better for him connecting to a character that's as flawed as Long John. But to to be fair to this movie, it is more true to the source material. So I thought we would jump on Tim Curry for a little bit since we were talking Jim Hawkins. I don't think the kid never went on to be anything after this, right? Too much. He's done some stuff in Britain, but he hasn't really had anything that's big yeah, he, here in the U.S. He had a talk show in Britain, I think, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And yeah. That, but, like, nothing, yeah, no no movies, I meant, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Right? But, I, you know, you, gotta, you, can't, uh, you can't not mention Tim Curry, because Tim Curry is uh, this American actor that everybody who I ever talked to just has a reason to love. Actually, he currently has a TV series called Super Fun Night. Super Fun Night? That does sound like super fun. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> um, no, seriously. Actually, it's good that you mentioned that, Cheryl, because uh, one of the uh, reasons why he ended up getting this role is because he's a huge, huge Muppet fan, right? I mean, like, there are a lot of actors and actresses in Hollywood that are just huge Muppet fans. That's why they were always on the original television show. And he is just uh, so much enjoys it that one he considers this in every interview he's ever talked about to be one of his most favorite roles ever okay two uh later on after this movie they almost uh the the henson company almost arranged with him to have to do the tim curry show which would be him and the muppets constantly on tv as a show and and that eventually got morphed into muppets tonight by the way which this was a huge promotional vehicle for yeah, because this literally came out a month before the show started. Yeah. On purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, so, but what's, and, and at the end of the completion of the film, they actually gave him a Muppet that, of himself as Long John Silver. Yeah, oh, I think that's cool. really cool. Yeah, it, it looks awesome. When you see the picture of him sitting next to it, it is awesome looking. I, I have a suggestion for the Muppets. For the Muppets? Muppets Clue. Oh, I like it. That could be too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> too much for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, like, so recreating the entire movie of Clue with Muppets. And Tim Perry. <laughs> Ah, yes. I would watch it. (laughs) I I would watch it on, like, repeat constantly. (laughs) So I I wanted to know know if Ryan caught something. Did you catch who did the theme for this movie? The theme, the lyric theme, not the the non-lyrical theme, the score. Hans Zimmer. Yes. Isn't it interesting because mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean is Hans Zimmer? And, indeed. indeed. Right? Although, although he, it was uh, Klaus Bedelt who actually came up with the original Pirate, the Curse of the Black Pearl theme. So Hans Zimmer just is a hack that kind of came in after. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> just on. kidding, Oscar-winning composer. <laughs> That's Ryan, folks. You can catch him at Ryan Kilpatrick on Twitter. Send all emails to there, please. Don't send it to me. I 
actually have a quote from Hans Zimmer about this movie. Um, he said, to make the Muppet thing work, you have to surround it with reality. For those characters to really come across as crazy, the more real and traditional I am in my scoring, the more they shine. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's similar to what Michael Caine said, you know, when working on Muppet Christmas Carol. is like he had to act like he was working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yep. Yeah, similar idea. Did, did so, you hear about how Brian Henson put the uh, cast to sleep? Yes. <laughs> no, I did not, I, but now I want to. So the ship that's in the movie uh, that they did all the puppet work on, is on a, they set it up on a gimbal. Now, the last time we talked about a gimbal, folks, was in uh, Iron Man 3 yep. episode. Okay, episode 123 for those keeping count. Um, what, what it is is a gimbal, again, is a, a in movie terms, okay – is a uh, platform that is generally circular in some form and tends to be designed to pivot on pivot. Well, either it pivots and keeps this uh, motion around it stationary or everything pivots around it. It can do either generally speaking. Okay. Kind of like the layers in a gyroscope. Okay. Cause that's a gyroscope is technically a gimbal. Just so there you understand. go. Uh, so <laughs> what happened was he, Brian Henson was concerned that this was the first time they were using it. So uh, he thought everybody would get seasick from it, so he gave them all seasickness pills, and they all like got really sleepy and drowsy that day of shooting, that first day of shooting, and they really didn't get much done. Uh, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the nifty thing, though, is that uh, the gimbal mechanism is like the ship is basically bolted to it for much of the movie. Because they don't pull, it's not like pushed around on wheels. Like because the Muppets have done some skits with boats before, where it's really something that they move around. Everything moved around the ship. So when they had to move it to like the dock, they would build the dock scene around the ship. And then when they had to move it to the island, they would build the island scene around the ship. Seems like oh. a lot of work, but that's how they did it. It does, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And the other interesting thing is that the outdoor scenes are real in, in, in at sea. This is oh, so they're they, actually they are actually out on open water. They so they went to film out a garbage scow out on open water in in the actual Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then what they did because they wanted realistic sunrises and sunsets and stuff like that. So and then what they did was they superimposed the Muppets Hispaniola over the garbage scow for all those scenes. Yeah. Okay. I thought that I I had never I I first time I ever read that ever about the thing so interesting yeah I mean we haven't talked a lot about the plot of the film and and I am imagining we won't spend a great deal of time focusing on the story because it is as we said the story of Treasure Island which a lot of people know very very well but I think it's interesting to look at what they did uh, go through and change so. I think it's interesting to say, you know, to, to look at, you know, that, like we said, you know, Rizzo and Gonzo are the sidekicks and, you know, we, the, the way that they treat the characters of, you know, Captain Flint and Billy Bones and Long John Silver and things like that. So as we talk about it, I think that's the, the, the lens we'll probably be uh, taking and, and some of the humor they added, like the, uh, the cruise joke that, that, uh, that Todd referred to earlier. Right, that's not in the original book. I thought I just got a faulty copy. Oh, I was going to say also the original book was not a musical. Wait, wait. I think I got a faulty copy too then. (laughs) (laughs) 
We're, we're going to have to investigate this. I, my Kindle must not be working properly. I think so. I read it on Kim, Kindle, too. That must be the problem. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, so the the story is the age-old story of the Robert Louis Stevenson book, which is that, you know, there's there's a guy who, Jim Hawkins, who's the young orphan living uh, at the Admiral Benbow Inn. Uh, of course, in this one, we have added Gonzo and Rizzo, and uh, they are all basically orphans living in the inn. Uh, they are tended to by uh, Jennifer Saunders' character, whose name I don't recall, but I just knew it was Jennifer Saunders. Mrs. Billeridge or something like that. Thank you. Yeah. And they are, as the film opens, listening to Billy Bones, who's played by Billy Connolly, um, relating the stories of his pirate days. And, of course, no one believes him, uh, even though he's telling the stories of Captain Flint and burying treasure on a remote island. And so the movie opens with the puppets going and the Muppets leaving the treasure on the island and then the Captain Flint character shooting everyone. And so it's the, you know, the legend of the treasure. And as we get the songs of shiver my timbers. And then as they're closing up, uh, Jim Gonzo and Rizzo are seeing a song about yearning for something better. And I have to say from a song perspective, um, this is not the strongest Muppet film from, from my opinion. Yeah. There's definitely a couple good ones, but some are not, not nearly as strong as in a lot of the other movies and, and even on the show. I think it's because uh, the guy playing Jim, he, he he's not a strong falsetto, but it comes out less, but he comes out falsetto. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, that I, could I be. like I like Shiver My Timbers, but yeah, all the numbers that have Jim singing are a bit weaker. Mm-hmm. I think. I have Cabin Fever. <laughs> Me too. Yes. yes, that's the best one in the whole film. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. And that, I, and I kind of dig the pirate song later on. I, I was gonna say, I my favorite is is Tim Curry's number, yes. "Professional Pirate." That it, that, in my opinion, is the best song. Just because it's got these really good lines in it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I was gonna say, in regards to Billy Connolly and Jennifer Saunders, I am very sad that they're only in the first couple scenes of this movie because they're both excellent comedic actors. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think it'd be great to see them uh, a little bit more. But you know, the way the plot folds, it doesn't doesn't fit well. Also, the fact that she's playing the Incredible Hulk as a nanny. <laughs> <laughs> Innkeeper's wife from Les Miserables. Like just the look of her and kind of the costuming and the makeup and everything, she looks a lot like her. Cool. Oh, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I don't Les so I don't remember it that well the what she looks like yeah and in the book at first jim hawkins is not an orphan even uh the the inn is run by essentially run by his parents his father dies while billy bones is staying there and then his mother i don't remember if she i don't think she dies necessarily but she kind of has to stay behind and um the the community, if you will, or kind of the next community over, kind of helps rebuild and repair the Admiral Benbow so she can continue there. And Jim goes off on this adventure. So I thought it was interesting that they completely changed 
that relationship. Oh yeah, You're, that's that's a good point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because Treasure Planet doesn't change that. So it, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but the the story really kicks off when um, Blind Pew shows up and gives Billy Bones the black spot, um, which causes him to die of a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Several times. Yeah. A few, a few, a few different ways. <laughs> Ma- making this my second favorite black spot movie moment in a pirate movie after Dead Man's Chest. <laughs> um, two, two things. One, uh, when Billy uh, Bones, uh, Brian Connolly, Billy Connolly as Billy Bones, sorry, it's very confusing, <laughs> has, has the conversation with Gonzo when he's telling the story. He grabs Gonzo's nose and calls him Hose Nose. And I guess apparently he had to do several takes of this because he kept bursting out laughing every time he grabbed Gonzo's nose. <laughs> I can believe that. Okay, it's just, you know, that there's that. Also, Billy Bones is the first uh, character to ever die, not already be dead, in a Muppet movie. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Didn't think of it that way, but that's probably true. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so he does die, but uh, not before revealing to the boys, um, you know, that that he needs a – that he has the map and that they get it right as the pirates come back to kill him uh, and take the map. So they manage to escape, and Jennifer Saunders, as you mentioned, pulls off her Incredible Hulk impression. And – they go into town with the idea that they are going to use the map to get somebody to fund their voyage to go find the treasure. It works and out for them. It does. Uh, it unfortunately does not work out for me because now that my kids watched Muppet Treasure Island with me, they saw Squire Trelawney, played by Fozzie the Bear, talking to Mr. Bimbo and his finger – and they've been doing that for the last three days and i've really had enough of it you you know what you need you need sako i i I think it would just make things worse i think then sako would be talking to to mr bimbo and yeah no fozzy bear plays squire trelawney and he talks to a person living in his finger (laughs) he does and while that's not in the book, it actually makes a little bit more sense that the rich half-wit son of a squire would do this instead of the actual squire, as happens in the book. Yes. Yeah, I, I, that's that's one. Of the, it's one of those jokes that you 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 say. This is what's going on, and there's really nothing more to the joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Also, you know, the dim-witted thing they, they constantly harp on throughout the movie, too. Like, it, it, but it's always in the background, so I find it funny, right? You, you know, because it, it, it's a good joke. Like, it's a good role for Fozzie, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay? Because it wouldn't have worked had it been any of the, of the other characters. But uh, I, I just like that they, he, they have to tell him what the ocean is by referring to it as the big blue wet thing, which he continues throughout the movie referring to it as the big blue wet thing. <laughs> And then that came me wanting. I kept thinking "Big Blue World" in my head yes. the whole movie. So now I'm putting it all in your heads. So there you go. Thanks I'm not for passing that. that along. 
Nice. Uh, but they managed to uh, convince Squire Trelawney and Mr. Bimbo that this is a, a good idea. Uh, they get Dr. Livesey, played by Bunsen Honeydew, and Beaker uh, to accompany them. Hire the Hispaniola, captained by the horrible, awful Captain Smollett. Who's, that? That is my favorite joke in the film, <laughs> which is where <laughs> Sam Eagle comes in and tells the, the men how awful and horrible the captain is and he'll shoot you as soon as look at you and here comes kermit and you know mr arrow saying things to the crew even after that like get get working or you'll be shot on sight and kermit just taps him on the shoulder i didn't say that (laughs) i was just anticipating your whim sir (laughs) (laughs) really this this is this is i if anything this why people would like Sam Eagle if they didn't like him up until this point is this role. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> my favorite is they poke the poking fun at Disney parks that they make too. That li- that line that they drop. What what's next? Singing, dancing mouse with amusement parks. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, also, we didn't mention that Stotler and Waldorf are the mastheads for the ship. We we did not. That's weird to me. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah, I have I have a quick note that's slightly off topic, but this was a realization that I had at this point in the movie in my notes. Um, does anyone recognize Jim's haircut in this movie? Because it reminded me a lot of the hair choices from another uh, literary ad- uh, Disney adaptation from this time. No. No. They look a heck of a lot like the mullets from the Three Musketeers. It it looks like they just said, okay, Charlie Sheen and everyone else's haircuts from that movie, we're going to give it to this kid. See, to me, it looks like the older brother's hair from, um, what's the show that Fred Savage was on? Wonder Years. Wonder Years. Oh, yeah. And I was going to go with um, (laughs) one of our other friends' favorite actors, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. It does look a little Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yeah. I think it's just a combination of all three of those. <laughs> it's very, very 90s. <laughs> so here's what I noticed at this point. Um, you're one-third of the way through the movie, and this is when Kermit walks on the screen. Yep. Yep. Good point. Yeah, Kermit doesn't actually come on screen, screen until 27 minutes into the movie. Yeah, movie's so, only 99 and, minutes long, and, yeah. and about 10 of that is, is credits, so... Right. And in fact, Miss Piggy doesn't appear until an hour and six minutes in. So yeah, they're both happy. really late. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, in Siskel and Ebert's review, uh, uh, when they reviewed it on their show, they said that this was one of the biggest problems for them. The fact that uh, Kermit really doesn't show up until late and Miss Piggy is barely in it. Hmm. But that's the same way they did Christmas Carol, so... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they... Yeah. And it was funny because, actually, Siskel had forgotten that there were humans in every single Muppet movie, and he was like, why don't they just have, a, like, you know, the good old Muppet movies with only the Muppets? And Ebert had to be like, well, there have been humans in every single Muppet movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. I think the difference is inverting the formula, like Todd said earlier, of having the the Muppets be the side characters and the the humans be the main characters. I think it works for something like Christmas Carol, where the main character is is going through a redemption story. Like you don't want the Muppets to be redemptive. Like you, they don't need to be redeemed. They need to be wacky and crazy. And the the human is the center of the chaos. I think that part of it works. I think in this instance, the main story is between two humans. So it gets a little, you know, the Muppets are definitely pushed to the side. The main story is between Jim and Long John and, you know, that's, uh, that's, that means the Muppets are not part of the main story. They're, they're side characters. They're showing, you know, things that are happening, but they're not, they're not the story. Gonzo and Rizzo kind of make fun of that a few times, too. They do. Mm-hmm. Which is not surprising and probably would have been ad-libbed. You know what I mean? Because that happens a lot on these films. If you if you read about the making of the films, you know, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, the, the performers, you know, made those lines up and then they stayed in the film. Yeah, which for those two, it's enti- it's definitely entirely possible. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, speaking of Long John Silver, this is when he's introduced in the movie. So, right? Yeah, right. it is. Yes. Yeah. I have a question here. Sure. Was Peppy the Peppy the um, Cartaceous Crab introduced yet in Muppet? Yeah, in Muppets, I was wondering why he was not the crab, and they just had generic crab. Because they introduced him on the show, right? That that came out the on Muppets Tonight. Uh, yeah, yes. yep. that's where they mm-hmm. introduced okay. him. So I guess I hadn't introduced him yet when this okay. came out. Uh, also, uh, Tim Curry tried to use a peg leg, but apparently it was far too painful. So yeah, like his his leg situation sort of varies by the scene. <laughs> that, that 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 was bugging me the whole time because it's like you, you he's definitely you don't ever see him standing on two legs, but like there's several scenes where he's obviously not using a crutch. Well, they kind of sort of make fun of it in this in the song that he does later on, where he's kind of sort of hovering there at one point. Yeah. So also, it's pretty obvious. Like you can almost see his foot like poking the back of his pants because he does have his foot, his leg, his lower leg tied up against his upper leg for it. So, yep, it's true. Uh, but yeah, we meet Long John Silver because he is the cook on the ship, uh, and seeing that he is a one-legged man, that is what Billy Bones warned him about. If you follow Treasure Island. Um, and it turns out that all of all of them were um, uh, hired by Long John, and so there they are. Uh, they they are hired by Long John, and we know how this turns out, right? Where everybody ends up uh, mut- doing a mutiny, including the pirates. Long John has a lobster instead of a parrot, <laughs> which I think could have been funny. But it I ends didn't up find it very funny. It ends up not remaining with him, right? It ends up being yeah. one of the. It ends up being one of the 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 initial mutineers that gets locked up, which is actually part of the big mutiny plan, by the way. In the, in, in, you know, so it's 
it becomes a character that sits on his shoulder to a main to a main part of the plot, which is odd. Yeah, it just seemed pretty kind of flat, really. So, so I had a very I have a very important question for uh, some comic book fans here. Yes. Did, it, did anyone notice that there is a Muppet that looks distinctly like Rocket Raccoon running around this ship? Wait, which one? There's 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 one that looks like a you know like a gray raccoon in the blue and red uniform that the guardians wear well in the comic books anyway. You see him better on in one of the um, scenes later on, but he's in the roll call scene, and oh, okay. then later on you see him. Um, he's like standing. Oh, when they go to kid when um when he kidnaps Jim over the side to go to the island, the the raccoon one is standing right next to him. It looks just like Rocket Raccoon. It's like weird. I didn't notice I that. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that. Yeah, yeah I know. Now, now I want to go watch it again. Because it's like wearing <laughs> the blue and the red and the whole thing. It's kind of, you know. Oh, and speaking of the roll call, I'm very sad that big, fat, ugly, bug face baby-eating O'Brien did not come back as a bigger character in this. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that was... a great throwaway gig. Mm-hmm. And that was a cameo by Brian Henson's wife. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they sing again. They do sing again because they get uh they set sail and they sing about sailing for adventure. Like I I'm, I'm looking through my list and my notes and I had looked up the songs and like I'm looking at the names of the songs and like I don't even remember the songs with the exception of Cabin Fever. That's part of the one. That's part of why I I feel like they the, the songs are much weaker here. See, the reason why I remember uh, Sailing for Adventure is because our high school choir did it, which there actually is video on YouTube of this performance. All right, I'm complete, sorry. We're gonna have to pause the show now. <laughs> complete, <laughs> complete with pirate ship. Wow. All right. Can that go in the show notes? <laughs> I'll if send Rachel, you the link. If Rachel emails it to me, you can go in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Yep. I I will say that I was not part of this performance, but it was it was one of the first choir performances I remember seeing, and it stuck with me quite a bit. Let's include it. <laughs> I think we should. Yeah. And I remember this song because it's the musical reoccurrence, or at least a musical reoccurrence of the big blue wet thing. And yes. whenever I think of this, the music from this movie, that song, that line is one of the first things that comes to mind, and then I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> Sailing for adventure on the big blue wet thing, and then it's just there. <laughs> also, Fuzzy blames who hired Long John Silver on his finger. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> which I love. <laughs> he just kind of gives his innocent sheepish points at his finger. <laughs> Which is probably what your kids are actually doing every time when you're saying that, right, Ryan? Yes, okay. pretty much. <laughs> and then he acts shocked when Kermit, Captain Smollett, says, your finger hired the crew? And he says, of course not. That would be silly. The man who lives in my finger hired the crew. Because <laughs> that makes so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's silly. Uh, yeah, but they, they do set sail, and then uh, Polly Lobster does, you know, it does revolt 
along with a couple of the other pirates and tries to capture Gonzo and Rizzo to get the map. Um, but Mr. Arrow catches them and, and locks them away. Um, Captain Smollett orders Jim to give him the treasure map and, you know, off, off we go. The mutiny uh, comes up a little bit later, but first we get our favorite song, Cabin Fever, which basically turns the Hispaniola into variety show stage and is hilarious. I, I wrote Pirate Night on a Disney cruise ship. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Real quick, before we get to Cabin Fever, we have that conversation between Jim and Long John Silver up on deck when they're talking about the direction the ship is sailing and everything, and we get a shooting star in that scene that's pretty prominently placed. Probably another tribute to Jim Henson, yeah. like it was in yeah. Muppet Christmas Carol. Yep. So. True. Also, you know what I don't like about that scene is in the book that's a much more com- important conversation than it is in this entire movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where he teaches him how to use the compass and how to not use the compass and all that stuff. That's like, you know, it's just, it's missing. You know, I don't know. It, it it's good. It's a good conversation between the two of them, but it's just not really heavily connected to the rest of the story, other than to say that Jim has a compass so he can use it later on, like we do in the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. It is a little strange, um, but you know, uh, and we we did, we missed the we missed the um, the second piece of this, which or the the joke, which is the the cruise aspect of this, which is that Rizzo has set up a cruise for rats uh, on this, so like on the he, boat, and it keeps think, showing up. Because his, his his reasoning is that either way, he makes money on the on the voyage, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, then uh, Long John gets rid of uh, Mr. Arrow yes he does he um, tricks Mr. Arrow into getting into the raft uh, and, and sets sail and that's what allows them to uh, to then do the mutiny they try to convince Captain Smollett uh, Jim, Gonzo, and Rizzo learn about you know, Long John Silver's plan because they're hiding in an apple barrel uh, which is a scene, if you've watched the Treasure Island adaptation, I think I've seen in, uh, five different ones now. And all of them include this. Mm-hmm. Yep, they all include this piece. Uh, and so they learn the plan, they go to inform Captain Smollett, and he sends them all to the island, says go you know, go to the island and you know, look for, start you know, making camp and those sorts of things. And so Captain Smollett then decides he's going to leave and unfortunately, Long John Silver has tricked Jim into getting into the boat. He basically drops his crutch, makes Jim grab it, and then pulls Jim into the boat. So they have Jim captive on the island, so they can't leave the pirates behind. Um, and we get, a song. We, get, we get the professional pirate song. It's exactly what I was about to say, where Tim Curry levitates. So, I mean, you can't really beat that. <laughs> <laughs> when when the song ended, I literally went wa- went back and watched it again. Like as soon as, as soon as it finished, I just was like, again, I have to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim being kidnapped by the pirates again makes so much more sense than in the book. Him deciding that he's just gonna s- kind of sneak aboard with them and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, in um, what is it? In I'm trying to think what they did in Treasure Planet. Sorry, because this is we've read to Treasure Planet a few times, and he kind of sort of he leads the party down in Treasure Planet, right? The gym there, because then that's where they that's where they get trapped in Ben's house and everything. Yes, I think yeah, that's that right. one. That one's a little more confusing as far as how it all plays out. Yeah. That's probably why I don't remember it as well as I'd like to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, uh, also, uh, so we learned that the mutiny is a success because um, the cannon fires from the ship. Uh, yes, because yeah. two, two shots from the ship means that uh, the mutiny was successful. And then, then glow-in-the-dark Muppet eyes. <laughs> yeah, which was which is always fun. Like it's a fun gag, and the, the the eyes were designed to be expressive from the get go. That was the that was kind of one of Jim's big things of creating the puppets is is having the eyes you know be able to be changed and everything. Um, and so we have a little scene where Rizzo and Gonzo and Smollett are Smollett Kermit are all on the beach, and we get the uh, glow in the dark eyes showing up. Uh, that's and when the lights come on. It is the pigs from space who have crash landed and become cannibals. No, I mean that's not what they say in the movie. Yeah, that works. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's how it really went down. Uh, and so they kidnap them, take them, and uh, introduce them to their queen, who is Benjamina Gunn. Yes, by by song, by the way. Don't forget. Yeah, felt like the and- longest song ever. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I've been waiting the entire movie to talk about the pigs because sure. did you guys read about the lawsuit that happened over this over um, up at Treasure Island? Absolutely, but yes. go for it. Please. Okay, so there was a lawsuit from Spam over the character of Spam, the uh, the the pig tribesman. Um, this this is some actual this is an actual quote from um, the case over it. They said, the character is unappealing and will lead to negative association on the part of the consumers because he has small eyes, protruding teeth, warts, a skull in his headdress, is generally untidy, and speaks in a deep voice with poor grammar and diction. Yes. Also, they they used the character's (laughs) name, by the way. They didn't say the character in the actual transcript for the court case. They actually said the words, spam is unappealing and will lead to negative so- associations on the part of the consumers. <laughs> what a horrible thing to get on record for that company. That is not, yeah, that is not good. They also, they also said, oh, sorry, no, go no, ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go. Um, they, they also said that it would falsely personify spam as a nasty pagan brute. <laughs> yes. I, uh, two others that I wrote down were evil in porcine form. <laughs> Which is pretty much how people refer to spam. <laughs> okay, and and what they really wanted was just a good-natured warthog. Yes, <laughs> much like much like uh, Pumbaa in The Lion King. <laughs> and did you read how the the what the judge's rebuttal and why he to, when he threw the thing out of court was? Uh, I don't remember right offhand, but remind me, please. He said, well, one might think Hormel would welcome the association with a genuine source of pork. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally very entertaining stuff to read about the court case. But, but yeah, circling back to, to Benjamina Gunn, Miss Piggy, in her you know very brief performance in the film, 
she circulates as Smollett's ex-fiance who he left at the altar. And that, that I, 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 that part of it, I was like, I, that makes no sense to me from the way of that. We know, you know, Kermit and Miss Piggy that threw me off. Like Kermit yeah. leaving Miss Piggy at the altar. That was weird. It, it's also completely added. Cause, uh, just so folks know, this character in the book is Ben Gunn and is actually a guy, right? So, and yep. is not in love with the captain. <laughs> what I thought was interesting, right, is if you look really closely, the whole tribal pig thing, right, and the fact that she's Miss Piggy, it's a Lord of the Flies reference, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, right, because that's the character Piggy, and that's, you know, it's just like, that's... Exactly. Also, did anyone catch the throw-out pet that she has, which is an anteater named Flaubert? I wrote that down, and it's like it's it it literally happens for like two seconds, and then never again. Yeah, I noticed that too. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but we get the whole you know, cannibals. You know they're gonna kill the Smollett and Gonzo and Rizzo bit, but uh, once they finally get away, it's Long John Silver. Uh, they did not find the treasure when Jim and Long John Silver and the other pirates go there to where the treasure was supposed to be buried, according to the map. They did not find the treasure, uh, and instead they have to go and find uh, Benjamina, who they think knows where the treasure is, uh, and she does, in fact. And it turns out that she was uh, had a thing with Long John Silver as well. Uh, that was disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> and with Captain Flint. Yes. Yeah. 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 Miss Piggy is someone who gets around like that. Just kind of was a little disturbing to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. They they make the joke by the way in here uh, bec- bec- about dead Tom. Yes. <laughs> He's always been dead. That's why we call him Dead Tom. Yeah. Just like that. Because Dead Tom is just a skeleton throughout the movie. Just yes. for, for folks who haven't yeah. seen the movie. Uh, and uh, so that, yeah, it, the whole thing with the captain and Benjamina and the whole stuff is just weird. Though my though I do like the fact that the rats are watching all this like it's a luau. The yes. entire time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's like dinner theater or something, you know. Yeah. Well, they well first they're getting a tour of the island as if it's the set for the movie Muppet Treasure Island, which is a great joke within the movie kind of thing. But yeah, then they're all just sitting there eating luau food the whole time. It's good. And uh, the pirates try and kill Long John, and then Long John. Uh, yes. Puts the fear of God into them almost literally. Yeah, really, like m- mere moments later. But uh, he, he, they do end up finding the treasure um, once they, they sort out the whole Smollett Benjamina situation. Uh, they suspend the two of them from a cliff, which apparently is a reason to start singing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did the last time I was hanging from a cliff. Absolutely. Yeah. It really only works if you're tied there by your feet, though. Yes, well, you know, it's because you get in the right mood with all the blood rushing into your head. Right. And I have to say, my wife loves this song. I I like it okay from over the end credits, but I don't know. I'm not fond of it here at 
the, yeah, at this I, location. I would agree that the end credit version is better than the yeah. version of the song. I would agree with that. Yep. Yeah, I would too. Uh, but yeah, Mr. Jim and Gonzo Rizzo get away. Mr. Arrow uh, is able to, he ends up, you know, returning and finds his way back to the island. They manage to get in his lifeboat, get back to the ship, um, sneak on board, and pose as have Mr. Arrow pose as his own ghost, which is pretty funny. <laughs> good gag. Uh, but they manage to get um, Squire Trelawney, Dr. Livesey, and Beaker free, uh, and... They sail underneath Benjamina and Smollett and Waldorf and Statler, uh, catch them as they fall. Mm-hmm. And then, then we get the giant chaos battle, which is probably the best part of any uh, Muppet film. Yeah, it's a good. It's actually a good battle scene overall. It I is. Thought. It, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's got a lot of um, the the bit with Kermit and going crazy with his sword. For some reason, it reminds me of Princess Bride. Just the exchange that they, just the conversation that they have a little bit, and then how he acts, and you know, and it's, it. I don't know. I just had that feel watching it. Oh yeah, with him, with him waving the sword around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, you know the, well, you know the whole battle between Dread Pirate Robertson and Ego Mike. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. It also kind of reminded me of, uh, like, especially when he's just kind of toying with him, like, cutting up his clothes and everything. It reminded me of um, the last the last fight in it with the, uh, the six-fingered man. Oh. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. And then elsewhere in the battle, when we have uh, Gonzo fighting... And he pins Polly Lobster up, I guess it's against the side of the ship or something, with those starfish, which came from a throwaway line. At least it seemed throwaway at first earlier in the movie when they're in the apple barrel. And Gonzo says that you know he, they're, they're here and there. He's like, and my pants are filled with starfish. Yep. And Rizzo's like, you yep. and your hobbies. Well, then the starfish become important here in the battle. <laughs> they do. So that yeah. was kind of a nice touch. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking one thing we we skipped over. We don't have to go back to back for it, but uh, the the Swedish chef's cameo <laughs> yes. disguised, disguised as a pig, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is just a Swedish chef with a uh, pig nose. That's all it is. Yep. <laughs> how well, how else are they going to work him into the movie? Yep, that's what right. they say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, Sweetum switches sides, makes his yeah, makes his li- it makes his line that he always makes, which is "I love these guys" or "I love you" or something like that. He always does a line similar to that. You know, and that's uh, that's basically it. They they win. They do. They end up and- back on the ship and all in the brig. Actually, it's mostly I guess to say the brig at this point is kind of silly. it's all imprisoned in the mm-hmm. lower deck. Yeah, pretty much the entirety of the lower deck of the ship. Yeah, um, and then of course my my we have the uh, the rats scuba diving. Yes. Um, oh, and well, and so and then after that, Silver makes off with the treasure. The mysteriously expanding and contracting treasure. Right. It starts with three chests, but then when they find it in Benjamin's condo. 
I don't know how that much treasure fit in three chests, but then it's back in it a little bit later on. <laughs> yep. Actually, it's only in two bigger chests later on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and also, you know, we were talking about throwaways, right? Like the thing with the starfish. Like, really, the thing about the boats and being leaky, the lifeboats, was a joke, was a, was a lie to get Mr. Arrow to take the boat off the ship, right? But then later yep. on, when Long John leaves, he takes one of the lifeboats, and it actually, or riggers is what I think they're actually called. They're not called lifeboats on a pirate ship, right? Yeah, they called them jolly boats. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and um, they he takes it, and then Mr. Argo goes, I, there was a problem with that boat. It was distinctly unsafe. And then it's, <laughs> and then he's sinking late, later on and then trapped back on the island. <laughs> and then, yeah, like we said, uh, with Long John stealing the, the, the treasure and uh, everybody you know, leaving the ship and him sinking. Uh, during the end credits, we get the nice feedback of uh, the one of the idols, the, the Moai idols, um, cracking jokes as Long John sits on the beach. Yeah, referring to, <laughs> referring to Long John as Johnny. Yeah. Yes. Because I wasn't sure if that was a, uh, a Johnny Carson reference or not, right? Like the thing was supposed to be Ed McMahon. I wasn't sure about that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Didn't think about that, but it, yeah, it could have been. But uh, yeah, that's, that's Muppet Treasure Island. It's, uh, like we said, there's there's a lot of good, a lot of, a lot of different stuff and, and some, some interesting stuff throughout. So uh, we, will, uh, we will rate it unless anybody else has something they want to add. Um, I had a few quick things um, about uh, how successful this movie was at the box office. Um, it's opening weekend. It came in second place to John Woo's uh, Broken Arrow, but it made over $10 million, which, according to what I've read, uh, the budget on this was $5 million. I don't, I, I've seen this a couple different places, so I'm assuming that that's correct, and it ended up making $19 million in the first two weeks. So this was actually pretty successful for them. Yeah, and Muppet movies generally are because they're relatively cheap to make. Uh, and they make a good bit of money. So that's why we're getting a Muppets Most Wanted. Yeah. Well, I the, think it was it was slightly more successful, though, than uh, than Christmas Carol, which really didn't rank very high. Yeah. No, like, I as far right. as the other movies that was coming out against. Um, and the other thing that I that I had a note about was in the behind-the-scenes feature that's um, up on YouTube, I think it was the one that was referenced earlier, um, the Muppets in the behind-the-scenes feature are fully in character. And this might actually explain, Ryan, your question about um, the whole thing of Kermit leaving uh, Miss Piggy at the altar. They were really playing up in the behind-the-scenes that that relationship was off again, on again, and that it was very much <laughs> Miss piggy um, going after Kermit um, because in the interviews Kermit keeps insisting that their relationship is strictly professional and then it cuts over to Miss Piggy talking about how her heart belongs to one frog oh nice mm -hmm. yeah and I gotta say in the that last interchange between Jim Hawkins and Long John Silver when Long John's trying to escape. I thought that was some of the most 
uh, heartfelt acting that I saw on both of them, but especially on Tim Curry's part. I, I could really see in the way he was playing that the anguish that that character would have been going through and trying to decide whether to shoot Jim or not. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to remember in the book, I mean, Silver actually sacrifices himself to save Jim, right? Um, no, actually he does end up back on board with the rest of the the good guys for lack of a better term, the pirates uh that remain alive uh, end up marooned still on Treasure Island. And then when they get to the nearest port, which I want to say is in South Africa or something like that, uh, he ends up running off during the night. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, I mean that like we were saying earlier, that the relationship between the two of them is the important part of the story. Yeah. You know, it's not it, it's not really about treasure, or you or if you want to be really clever, you could say the treasure is their love. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it even revisits the conversation from the beginning of the movie uh, with Jim and Gonzo and Rizzo, where they're talking about being family, even though they don't look anything alike and everything, but they're still family. And then when they kind of get the drop on Long John there towards the end, the end of the battle, and he looks around and he says, well, it looks like your little family has come together against me. Oh, yeah, he does say that, yeah. Mm-hmm, he does. I do have one note. Using the new movies app, the suggestions of more movies like this are following. <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk <laughs> the Kids, Freaky Friday, Snowball Express. <laughs> no! Oh, my. No, no, oh, no, no. The yes. Great Muppet Caper, The Game Plan, Herbie Rides Again, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> Mighty Ducks 3 Muppets Wizard of Oz Muppets Christmas Planes and the Muppets I have to disagree with some of those choices there <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah I think they could have found better movies than that I'm not yes. sure they could have found some worse ones than some of those if they just randomly picked them out of a hat, which they might have done. So, I just thought that was funny. I, I looked it up the other day, and I could not believe that. <laughs> Especially oh, Snowball Express. Have... This way is no one likes Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, this movie and Snowball Express have... I, I can't even think of one thing that they have in common. Um, I mean, it's snow and yeah, Disney. no puppets. <laughs> They've That's both it. been talked about on the Disney Film Project podcast. Isn't that enough? <laughs> now they have something in common. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. right. laughs> I had one last note, actually. Um, the same year that this came out, uh, the Jim Henson Creature Shop won Best Visual Effects at the Academy Awards for their puppetry work in Babe. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. So it was a good year for, for Jim, the uh, Henson Company. Cool. So Babe was 1995 then? Yeah. Yeah, it was late 1995, so it was uh, 96 when... Uh, when the Academy Awards, with the Academy Awards, so it would have actually just been 
Because the Academy Awards are usually the first, like early in the year, so it would have been right around this time. Mm, cool. So it was a good time for for the Muppets. Muppet Treasure Island, Muppets Tonight, the Oscars. It's pretty good. Cool. That's probably enough uh, talking pig talk, because otherwise Ryan might have flashbacks. It's a little <laughs> scary. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to lie. Uh, okay, so let's let's rate this. Uh, I think we we all had had a decent time watching it, but let's see. Uh, I will let our guests go first. That's only the, the right thing to do. Um, uh, so, Randy, what would you say on a scale of one to five here? Well, I really like this movie. I mean, granted, it's not the best music or the best plot, or you know, some of some of it really doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about it, but you probably shouldn't think too hard about the Muppets anyway. Just sort of enjoy them. Um, and I watched it twice in preparation for doing the podcast, and just from discussing it, it's enough to kind of make me want to go back and watch it again. So I'm going to give it a four. All right, so we've got a four from Randy. Uh, let's see. Uh, Todd, do you want to take the next shot at this? Yeah, um, I don't like it as much as Randy does, but I do tend to agree. It's not, it's not a great movie, but it's, a, it's got some really funny gags in it that make it really enjoyable to watch. Like it's not, it's not dull except for a couple of like, – like the songs. Some of the songs just tend to drag on and – that's about it. But the the scenes between the songs can be really funny at times. Some of the gags lines that they throw around, especially, you know, the big blue wet thing. <laughs> Which is clearly what I'm gonna say to a captain on the next time on a Disney cruise ship. Uh, <laughs> so for for me it's it's just a three though. That's where I feel I come in. All right. Yeah, I I would agree with you. I would actually go with a three as well. That's it's it's right there in the middle for me. I enjoy it, it but it's not quite um, you know you know on par with some of the the previous Muppet films as we as we said. There's there are some really good lines, um, and I think you get that anytime you get this group of people in a room. You know when you talk about these these Muppet performers. But uh, Cheryl, what do you think? I love this movie. I think it's a five. I think it's an easy thing for kids to watch if you can't read a book. I think it's... I love the Muppets. So there we go. You just have to be careful with the kids and the Mr. Bimbo. I'm just... I'm warning you parents now. you got to be careful. <laughs> Public service announcement. Yep. Yep. Mr. Bimbo is terribly unsafe. Uh, he, he causes, Mr. Bimbo causes repetition, which is a parent's worst nightmare. Uh, all right, Rachel, what's your say? I'm going to come in kind of in the middle. I'm going to go with a three and a half. Um, the first time I watched it, I probably would have given it a four, but the second time around, yeah, the, the, the weaker songs bring it down a bit, but I do want to give a special five-star strictly to Tim Curry and his performance in this movie. And I know there's the running gag on the Muppets about, you know, the human Muppet, which is, you know, Muppets that are stacked on top of each other wearing an overcoat. Tim Curry is just a human Muppet. He, he, they should have made the show with, with him and the Muppets. I mean, that's just a no-brainer right there. So, Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. 
It's 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 a great great thing to see Tim Curry and the Muppets. Um, and I'm with you guys. I want to see the Muppets clue that needs to happen. Uh, but all right. So yeah, I mean, I think we all liked it. And you know, if you like the Muppets, I think you're going to enjoy this movie. Um, but you know, it. I will warn you: the waters get dark from here if you go forward in the Muppet movie timeline. So, uh, fair warning there. So if you guys agree with us and you think Muppet Treasure Island's great, well, let us know that. Go over to uh, DisneyFilmProject.com there and leave a note in the show notes. You can find us on Facebook at Disney Film Project or on Twitter at DizFilmProject. Um, you can also email us, DisneyFilmProject.gmail.com, and please do that. Go ahead and uh, let us know some things you might want to see on the show or, or thoughts and concerns or whatever you want to you know, send our way. We're willing to, uh, to take, take a look at it. All right. Google Plus page, too. Oh, we do. That's right. Good point. We do have a Google Plus page. I do want to remind people, since we're talking about specially themed months, this this is your time. This is now is the time. Now is the best time to vote for next year. Decide if you want to torture me with Fred McMurray month and Bon Voyage. Decide if you want Don Knotts month. Decide if you want Haley Mills month, or decide if you want Fest Parker month. Or you can find us someone else for live action films. Must be stuff we haven't covered. Restrictions apply. Let's fill out our poll or send me the vote and we'll be glad to get your vote. <laughs> and that way we, I won't blame for torture folks in the future. There you go. All right. Uh, so I want to thank Randy for joining us tonight. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Always happy to be here. It's fun. Yes. Uh, we appreciate it, and I uh, appreciate you joining and jumping and talking some Muppets, and uh, we will have more Muppetational uh, fun for you guys uh, coming up, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But uh, until then, and until next week, uh, I'm Ryan, and for Rachel and Todd and Cheryl, we will see you soon. What an imagination. First pirates, now talking parrots. What's next? A singing, dancing mouse with his own theme park? Oh, hey, man. Just play the gig. Never get involved in politics. I've gone way beyond afraid. Right now, I'm somewhere between bedwetting and a near-death experience. Look at us, Jim. We're a festival of conviviality. Terrific. Captured by crazed wild pigs and sacrificed hideously before a pagan altar. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>